from the well of death, from the chasm of silence, from the abyss of pain, come the screams of empty, come the choruses of misery, come the dark tales. Many sewed, fallen love or die, the dishevelled man sidled down the aisle, he was running his hands through his hair furiously, as if he had fleas, and muttering some incoherent babble, as if said fleas were quite the conversationalists. Kerry held her breath, hoping that he would pass her by and ideally find a different carriage altogether, but quite predictably, quite inevitably, he dropped down into the seat just opposite hers, at the same table within the same compartment. Typical. She really did attract him. If a street drinker approached her group of friends, they would always zero in on Kerry as their point of focus, perhaps identifying her as either the most approachable or even a potential kindred spirit. Or, if someone slightly touched, as her grandmother would term them, was ambling down the street, they would no doubt halt their course to speak with her. Once, a young man had followed her, shoulder to shoulder, during her entire morning walk to work, whilst delving into exhausting detail about how much better sex was without a rubber. And now, here was another young man, huffing and puffing and rubbing his hands over his face like he just escaped his creditors. The worst thing was that when he looked up to finally acknowledge Kerry, he threw her the stink eye, as if she and she alone was responsible for whatever dubious situation had befallen him. In an attempt to ignore him, she returned to her book, and so with the sunshine and the great bursts of leaves growing on the trees, just as things grow fast in movies, I had that familiar conviction that life was beginning over again with the summer. But the young man continued to exist on her peripheries like a pestering fruit fly. No, that wasn't right. He was more like a blue bottle for all the persistent noise he made. Must he be so obnoxious with all that constant blowing and sighing? After several tries, all of which ended with Kerry falling out of her state of immersion, she gave it up for a lost cause, laying the book face down on the table. Excuse me, but could I ask why you're looking at me like that? How am I looking at you? Like I spat in your kettle. That's not how the expression goes. I know, I gave you the PG version, but if you'd like something less PG, a few things come to mind. Have I done something to upset you? I don't know, have you? Um, you don't reckon it's a tad rude to stare someone out like that? Some people from neighbouring compartments were glancing their way in an attempt to investigate the source of the ruckus, but Carrie didn't care. She had had enough of people treating each other like crap. I think we're beyond manners here, he said. Why would you think that? He pressed his nose against the window of the train. He actually did that, totally disregarding the ecosystem of germs and bacteria nesting there. Do you see those cracks in the sky out there? After glancing out, she took note of the deep black web stretched right across the sky. Yeah? Has it always been like that? No. You only think that because you reset with this place, so all anomalies are treated as your status quo. Alright... She said in a voice that suggested that it was anything but alright. See, the sky used to be clear, but then it cracked once, and the next time there were two cracks, and so on and so forth. Okay. She said in a voice that suggested that it was anything but okay. He threw up his hands in evident frustration, and the entire world is on the absolute brink of total annihilation if I don't solve this before we reset again. Carrie retrieved her bookmark and placed it inside her book before folding it closed. Solve what exactly? You aren't going to like it. I reckon that horse is bolted. You really don't want to hear it. Try me. 
He straightened, met her eyes, then sighed with the weariness of a parent explaining something quite rudimentary for the thousandth time. Fine, I have to make you fall in love with me before we reset in like 15 minutes. You have to make me fall in love with you? Yeah. In 15 minutes? It's like a video game. If I don't pass the level, the level resets over and over again. Wow, what gal doesn't love being compared to Mario? Yeah, you always prefer it when I compare you to those stupid time loop movies. Apparently it's an entire genre that you've seen hundreds of. If you think I'm going to sit here while you besmirch the good names of Groundhog Day, Palm Springs, Edge of... Listen, I know you love all those movies. I know every damn thing about you. Do you now? This is where you asked me to prove it. Be my guest. She gestured to the empty table as if to indicate that her mind were an equally receptive station. I know that your first ever crush was Luca Bell. He used to make you daisy bracelets, but then he started becoming more interested in football and spent most of his playground time with the other boys. Lots of people knew about Luca and I. You could be someone from my school or just a crazy stalker. There are rational ways to explain that. I know that you've always dreamed of being a writer. A pause, then. You could have made an educated guess on that one, she said after gesturing to her book. How about this then? I know that you write a lot of poetry, mostly based around the Irish countryside. I've had a few published on various blogs, easily accessible to anyone. I know that your favourite all-time offer is Fitzgerald. She tapped the book once again, as if to indicate that this was yet another obvious one, and thus he was awarded zero points. Right, but I know that you rank him much higher than the likes of Joyce and Hemingway, because he has the right balance of... Christ. What was it again? You'd think I'd know this by now. Depth and clarity? She offered. Exactly. There's enough substance to feel fulfilled without being intruded upon, and enough subtext to project without doing all the heavy lifting. The prose is like a dream. It has the right measure of detail to allow the mind to wander. Without straying too far, she finished. She was amazed to hear words that had only ever rolled around in her own head, said out loud by someone else. What kind of David Blaine shit was this? I know that you resent your mother for always pushing you into the life she wanted for you, rather than allowing you to make your own mistakes and live the life you truly want. I do not. You don't realise you do yet, because you haven't attended the requisite number of therapy sessions, but one day you'll come home from Dr. Haley's office and you'll just stare out the kitchen window and wonder what happened to your childhood and how you were so suddenly transported into a woman's body, a woman that still feels like a child, fumbling through life. Lots of people probably feel that way. I know that you would die for your brother Mason. You don't know this yet either, but his drug addiction is going to hit you hard. Sometimes you're going to feel like it's all going to only end one way. But don't give up on him. It'll be exhausting. It'll feel like a never-ending loop of rehab and relapse. But one day he'll get clean for good, and you'll get the thanks you never really expected. Mason is just a child, she said after swallowing. But couldn't she already see those little buds of rebellion beginning in him? Already he was changing faster than she liked to believe. I know that your dad has been a ghost for as long as you can remember. I know that you hate watching him become a shell of himself. I know that you still hate the smell of weed because of all the family events he missed out on because he was too stoned. I know that you feel guilty that the only reason he and your mum ever stay together was because of you and Mason. And maybe if they just split up in the first place, he wouldn't need to constantly escape reality. When the reality is that neither of them have been in love for a long time. In fact, you suspect their loneliest went together. She gazed out the window at the rolling hills and pressed her tongue against the roof of her mouth. There was a beating, a pulsing in her throat. I know that your favourite album is Daydream Nation by Sonic Youth. I know that your favourite dinner is Beans on Toast because it makes you feel safe. I know that your favourite animated movie is Up. I know that your favourite movie is Almost Famous. 
I know that. All right, she said, holding up a warding hand. I think I get it. You're from the future or whatever. You always do. Far sooner than you should. The first few go-arounds, you didn't really believe me. But that was mostly because I was bad at explaining it. You needed deeper truths beyond the dry facts. How many resets have you had? She asked, wanting to take the subject off of her. Her head hurt. She observed those cracks in the sky. She knew that by night they would be more numerous than the stars dotted between them. He shook his head. I've completely lost count. All I know for sure is that every time I get it wrong, this all resets and those cracks get worse. And you think the key to breaking the cycle is to get me to fall in love with you? Yeah. Why would you think that? Because I'm not really 22. He indicated the window again, which shone his reflection back at them. This is my 22-year-old body, but I'm actually 37 years old in the time I came from. Right, because you're from the future. Stop saying it like that. Saying it like what? Like it's ridiculous. Well, it is a little bit. Listen to me, okay? This is the train ride that I took 15 years ago. This is exactly where I sat down, because I was so focused on where I was going for lunch that I didn't even see you. You thought it was funny. We both did. I noticed that you were reading The Great Gatsby, and we talked about it and realised we had a ton in common. Or at least, the way that you loved literature was the same way that I loved music. I intentionally missed my stop just so I could keep talking to you. When I confessed as much, you suggested that we get off at the same stop together. We fell in love, Carrie said. If he was telling tales, at least he was committed to the bit, and she was sort of invested in this yarn he was spinning. We exchanged numbers and messaged each other daily. I think we were both so caught up in the rush that we half expected it to subside. But it never did, she asked. I got a job near you. That led to us moving in. Then, we spent the next twelve years of our lives together. All off the back of this random meeting. You never know when one coincidence is going to change your entire life. I'll say. How was our time together? She asked, half wanting to humour him, while the other half was still considering alerting a member of staff. The first five years were amazing. The five following that had intermittent good and bad phases. The two after that were hard. The last year was really hard, when everything went tits up. Carrie raised an eyebrow. You think I'm crazy, even after all I've proved to you. You always do. Fifteen minutes isn't enough, and that's okay. Maybe I am. No, I think you're a dimwit. Huh? If we've already fallen in love and you have the blueprint, then why not just reenact it? Why come up here sulking instead? It sounds like we had a lovely meet-cute. Don't you think I've tried that? It hasn't worked? Not even close. I've tried that dozens of times, but I'm just a bad actor giving a bad performance. That was 15 years ago for me, remember? I'm not that plucky optimist that you fell for anymore. When I try to recreate it, especially the parts where I discussed my hopes and dreams for the future, it's like your bullshit meter goes off. She fought on it for a while, then asked, If we were so in love, how did it all fall apart? His expression became interior as he searched himself, like a desktop computer, trying to locate the correct file. We just sort of grew into different people and drifted apart. I stopped listening to your stories or asking about your day. And I didn't feel a chin to the emotional end, because you were no longer as interested in the physical aspects. And I don't mean just sex. As pathetic as it sounds, I used to count the days between things. We once went 70 days without a single kiss or hug. And after you kept shying away, I just stopped trying. And without the emotional side, I couldn't connect to the physical side, Carrie guessed. Yeah... I tried to bridge to you and you tried to bridge to me, but we couldn't quite meet in the middle. You started building really intimate friendships and got that connection from them. What about you? I pushed everyone further away. I became an island. That's a shame. Yeah, I never really blamed you for leaving. I'd escape myself too if I could. Carrie snorted. 
What? He snapped. That line just sounded very scripted. I'd escape myself too if I could. It's hard not to sound scripted when I've rehearsed this all in my head endlessly. I don't even know how to be organic anymore. Leaning back, he folded his arms. The reason I came down here in a bad mood is because those webs are far worse than the last time. It's like a layer of ice that's finally on the verge of having too much. He rolled his head against the window. It's useless. Just fucking useless. Maybe I should just let the fucker blow up and kill us all, right? How long did you say we've been broken up for in your time? Not sure what that has to do with anything right now, but it would have been three years. Even after twelve together, three years is a long time. I guess. Are you still an island? His expression became twisted as he worked it out in his head. I've joined a gym and started a few classes. I didn't stick with the dancing or cooking ones, but I still go to the public speaking one. Sometimes. Not always. But I'm trying to build bridges. It's not easy for someone like me. So you're still alone? Carrie asked. He laughed. What? Are you seriously asking me about my love life right now? She shrugged. Hey, I'm just a copy of your ex from before she ever knew you. Whatever hurt there is between you and her is between you and her. Yeah, he said quietly. I'm still alone. Am I with anyone? Yeah, he said even more quietly. You started seeing someone about 14 months ago. I've seen pictures, screenshots sent by a friend. So you still check up on me? I try not to. She gazed out at the cracked sky. Have you ever asked me what I think? About our breakup? Please. I've already had more than enough long talks with the 32-year-old version of you. No. What I mean is, have you ever asked me what I think about this whole time loop situation? Um. I mean, you've done this all a thousand times before, right? In any of those instances, have you ever asked me what I think? Have you ever just asked for my help? Or is this the most vulnerable you've ever been? He shrugged. I didn't really want to burden you with all of that. But isn't that what being in love is about? Using people as crutches? Supporting each other? I never did find it easy to open up. Well, let me tell you what I think. I think that this whole thing, and she used her hands to gesture to the space around them, is all taking place inside your head. I think that this whole time loop thing is just a construct, a manifestation of your endless rumination. Now you're here to reconcile two drastically different points of yourself, the idealist and the pessimist, in order to give birth to the realist. I think those cracks in the sky are actually cracks in you. You think I'm broken? I think you need a breakthrough, and the only way to break through might be to break down. Let those pieces shatter and see what's on the other side. He thought about it for a while, until he was interrupted by what he noticed out the window. Oh great. What is it? That tunnel just up ahead. That's the point where we always reset. Fifteen years ago, we were in the dark. The lights flickered off and our hands accidentally touched. It was like magic. But now it's just a great big blink. If you're right, then maybe the world shatters and the universe, which was hinged on our love, ceases to exist. And the darkness goes on indefinitely. But if I'm right, then I'll see what's on the other side. Either way, let's just enjoy the ride. And he did just that. He did what he'd done so little of during their 12 years together. He did what he'd failed to do during any of his resets. He allowed himself to exist within the moment, to soak it all in. And the darkness did what it had always done before. It swallowed him and shit him out. He returned to consciousness, standing there in the middle of the aisle as the doors closed and the train started moving. Ahead he saw Carrie, seated at her table, where she always was, reading her tattered copy of The Great Gatsby, as she always did. She was so beautiful in that moment, so ignorant of all the happy memories, pain and all else that they would experience together. 
He knew that this version of her was fleeting though, because people weren't trains. They weren't meant to go over the same tracks over and over again. People kept going, kept changing, kept finding new ground. It seemed to him that she now existed behind an impenetrable force field and was as unreachable as the rest of his memories. Now he sat down in a different compartment at an empty table. Breathing, he watched the coast to one side, the frothing waters and the green hills and mountains to the other side. They all zoomed by like melting oil paintings. The sky no longer had dark cracks in it. In their place were fine grey and silver slithers. Soon, a woman interrupted him from his thoughts, which were no doubt as futile as they were meandering. She stopped by his compartment and said, Hey, I'm really sorry, but the train is completely full. Huh? Is it okay if I sit here? Sure, he said before returning to his view out the window and continuing to feel sorry for himself. Is everything okay? She asked after she'd settled down into her seat. I guess I'm just disappointed. The sky isn't as clear blue as I thought it'd be. Ah, uh, it looks pretty blue to me. But there are scars all over it. It's normal for it to have a few imperfections, isn't it? It'd be a bit boring otherwise. He analysed the woman. She had a guitar case slung over her back. On it were stickers of album covers. Some of his favourites, including Doolittle, The Queen is Dead and Loveless. You play? He asked. Oh yeah, blues rock. I'm actually on my way to a gig. Nice. What about you? I play bass. Used to. Used to be in a band. Anyone I would have heard of? Only if you drink in a lot of grubby Irish bars. Oh, I've been known to end up in some run-down holes. She screwed up her face. That didn't sound right. He laughed so hard his eyes watered. You know what I meant. I'll put it down to a Freudian slip. Okay, you got me. He grinned broadly. Had this woman been sitting here through all his resets? Why was he only noticing her now? What did you say your name was? I didn't. It's Tracy. Hi, Tracy. I'm Keelan. It's nice to meet you, bassist Keelan. Likewise, guitarist Tracy. He gazed at her for a while and considered everything. An echo came to him. Something about bridges and islands and putting himself out there again. So, when's your stop? Not for a while. She tapped the table. Guess I've got some time to kill.